Well, back in uh, November, we started studying Mark's gospel and uh, seeing how Mark, from the very beginning, presents Jesus as the Son of God who was sent into our world on a rescue mission. That by his sacrificial death and his glorious resurrection, Jesus made it possible for all who trust him alone to be rescued from sin and death and hell. This morning, our focus is chapter 13 of Mark. Here we have detailed teaching from Jesus about the future. Uh, His prophecy is of the end times and of the coming of the Lord. And it's vital to read this information properly. You can either treat chapter 13 as a bus schedule or a deer crossing sign. I imagine you know what a deer crossing sign is. Uh, Perhaps you uh, heard back in 2012 a a woman named Donna called into Y94 Radio in Fargo to say that she had had three accidents involving deer near deer crossing signs. And she wanted to know why the Department of Transportation simply didn't take the crossing signs off the highway and put them someplace where it's low traffic area. Uh, Donna said, uh, move the sign so the deer can cross somewhere else. Now, whether she was serious or not, we don't know, but of course, deer can cross anytime, anywhere they want. Uh, The sign is not for the deer. It simply signals the driver that this could happen at any moment, at any place. So be alert and be careful. A bus schedule gives you the date and the time and the place to expect the bus. So you show up there and then. Don't read Jesus' words here like a bus schedule. Treat them like a deer crossing sign. In fact, four times in this chapter, Jesus says, look out, look out, look out. He also specifically warns against speculating around the timing of the end. So let's uh, pick up where it begins. Verse 1, and as he, that's Jesus, came out of the temple, one of his disciples said to him, look teacher, what wonderful stones and what wonderful buildings. You need to appreciate the temple was massive and magnificent. It had already been under construction for 50 years and was unfinished when uh, the, the disciples were there. The enclosure of the temple complex covered 35 acres. That's about 12 football fields of space. The retaining wall was 15 stories high over the Kidron Valley. It was built with stones, blocks that weighed a million pounds or more each. The portico was supported by 40 columns, or columns that were 40 feet tall. Uh, They were so big around that it would take three grown men with outstretched arms to encircle one column. Uh, The the temple was made from a gleaming white marble uh, decorated with gold. And what what I'm showing you here is simply a a scale model that's uh, built in Israel. Uh, The temple is no more, but uh, uh, this gives you an idea. But this white marble decorated with gold, it it appeared like a snow-capped mountain in the middle of Jerusalem. So this enormous place of dazzling beauty evoked awe and wonder, even among these disciples who had seen it many, many times. And so what Jesus says next is shocking. Verse 2, Jesus responded to him, Do you see these great buildings? There will not be left here one stone upon another that will not be thrown down. So this glorious temple is doomed. The center of Jewish religious and social life was going to end. To lose that would be devastating, appalling, dreadful to the people of Israel. And 40 years later, 
just what Jesus predicted happened. Caesar ordered the whole city to be destroyed. Uh, led by General Titus, the Roman army burned the city and flattened the temple completely. The massive stones were leveled, knocked down. And the devastation was so great that one historian recorded that visitors found it hard to believe that the place had ever been inhabited at all. As many as one million Jews died. So hearing this, the disciples want to know more. They say, verse 3, tell us, when will these things be and what will be the sign when all these things are about to be accomplished? Well, for the next 33 verses, Jesus describes what will happen both in the lifetimes of the disciples and at the end of time. And so some of this prophecy is now in the past, like the destruction of the temple, long in the past. Some of it is still in the future, and I hope to show you that. It's not always easy to tell which is which, but there's a bigger point that's relevant for all of us who follow Jesus today. So I'm going to take the rest of this chapter divided into four sections, four sections of Jesus' words here. Now, uh, I want to show you a picture of one of the dogs that we used to have. This is a Dalmatian named Cleo. Uh, they're posing with uh, uh, our oldest daughter, a two uh, daughters who get their beauty and their brains from their mom. They're both smart and good looking. Unfortunately for Cleo, she was just good looking. She was not very smart. Uh, I took her to obedience school, and uh, we went into our community in the high school gym, and there was about two dozen dogs there as well and their owners, and went through weeks of training with Cleo, and we got to exam time, the final exam, and one part of that exam was to make your dog sit and stay in one corner of the gym while the owner turned his or her back and walked to the other side of the gym and then called the dog to them, uh, just part of the exam. So I told Cleo to sit and stay. I turned around and I began to walk. And about halfway across the gym, uh, Cleo just couldn't handle it anymore. And she took out after me and she jumped all over me. Oh, it's so good to see you. It's been so long since we've been together. She's a very happy dog, not very smart. Uh, so I, I greeted her and, and I felt very badly uh, because I knew that we probably failed. Actually, we came in sixth, which tells you how bad the other two dozen dogs were. Uh, but... Uh, she was unable to handle the distractions to, to do. She couldn't obey this master that she loved so much. Couldn't. Couldn't do it. Too distracted. The key word in these 33 verses that I want to focus on is the word stay. Stay. Uh, and first of all, uh, stay calm. Now, in the history of staying calm, no one who's ever told to stay calm has stayed calm, I've been told. But Jesus tells us to stay calm. Verses 5 to 8. Uh, and the disciples want to know, when's this all going to happen? Jesus doesn't answer their question. Uh, instead, he gives a lot of troubling, terrifying uh, things that are going to occur. He talks about deceivers and violence and international unrest and starvation and seismic shocks. And, and this is part of what he says, verse 7 and 8. And when you hear of wars and rumors of wars, do not be alarmed. This must take place, but the end is not yet. For nation will rise against nation. There will be earthquakes in various places. There will be famines. These are but the beginning of the birth pains. So they want to know when. Jesus simply affirms that things are going to get pretty bad, but stay calm. Horrific events will happen so bad that it will seem like the end is here, but it won't be. 
Jesus says, don't be alarmed. The Greek word is throeo, and it's a word that's only used two other times in the New Testament. And all three of these occasions, it's connected to the end times, end time events. And it means to be inwardly disturbed or alarmed, uh, frightened. If you're alarmed, you're inwardly disturbed or frightened. Jesus says, don't be inwardly disturbed. Don't be frightened, even though you see all these catastrophic things happening. Because even though these cataclysmic events occur, don't be shaken because it doesn't signal the end. He's very clear on that. It's just the beginning of more intense trouble and distress to come. This is a sample. This is a preview of end times suffering. And so uh, there are Christians who see every natural disaster as a sign of the end. Every threat of war as a possible apocalypse. Every few, uh, world leader as a, an antichrist. This, I believe, is the opposite of what Jesus advises. He commands us to stay calm. Secondly, stay true. Stay true. A lot of passage to cover here, so, so hang with me. But Jesus first ex- speaks to what the disciples would experience themselves in the years to come, verses 9 to 13. They're going to be beaten. They're going to be arrested. They're going to be rejected by their families. Even killed because of Jesus. He tells them this. But even that suffering won't be the sign of the end. Why not? Well, as he says in verse 10, and the gospel must first be proclaimed to all nations. So don't let suffering keep you from the mission. Yeah, you're going to experience some horrific things. Don't let that stop you from being true to the good news. Spread that good news to the world. Because the end will not come until every nation has heard of Jesus. That's what Jesus says in Matthew 24, 14. Uh, I had the privilege uh, about three years ago to go with one of our teams to Nepal. And uh, I, I had that privilege on the last day. You can't really see it in these screens. We're getting new screens hopefully before Easter, that you can see, uh, which will be phenomenal. Uh, but uh, I, I forded a river there. I, I believe it was on the last day we were there. Uh, and I went with my translator across this river. And uh, actually that top left hand is, is, a, is a picture of cows crossing the river. So I'm not in that group, just to let you know. But I, I was standing in the river when I took a picture of the cows crossing the river. Uh, I went across to people there who I was told... No foreigner had ever gone. No one had ever preached the gospel there. No one there uh, had heard of Jesus before. Now, I don't know how true that was, because it wasn't like that was an impossible river to cross, but I had the privilege of sharing the gospel with so many uh, families there uh, across that river and seeing uh, a number of them put their faith in Jesus. And that was one of the most thrilling moments of my life, to be able to, to share that. I don't know when the last person is who will hear the good news and respond that will, that will be the time of the end, but I, I'm looking forward to that day. Jesus says that the end will not come until the gospel is proclaimed to all nations. Stay true to that mission. And then he says, verse 13, you will be hated by all for my name's sake, but the one who endures to the end will be saved. Now don't get confused. Talking about salvation here is not that... Uh, This is not how you earn your salvation. Over 150 times, the New Testament declares that it's only through faith in the death and resurrection of Jesus that anyone can be saved. Uh, It is only by grace without any human effort. But those who have been made new in Christ, 
Those who have put their trust in Jesus alone will endure to the end. One evidence of genuine faith is that you will stay true to Jesus even though your health and your safety is not guaranteed but threatened. And when God calls you into his family, it's not to escape trials. It's not to escape troubles. Uh, it, It is that the difference is that Jesus will be with you in that dark hour. Hang on to him because there's no one else. Next, Jesus warns of specific disaster, verse 14. But when you see the abomination of desolation standing where he ought not to be, let the reader understand. Then let those who are in Judea flee to the mountains. Now, the abomination of desolation is a phrase that comes from the Old Testament book of Daniel. Jesus is applying this to some outrageous event that's going to happen in the future. Mark lets us know that Jesus isn't talking about what the disciples will see themselves because he adds the words, let the reader understand. Now you realize that the disciples, most of them, would be long dead before the entire New Testament was written down. And so this is directed at another generation of believers who will read these words, a generation like us. And Jesus tells of a future time when A man is standing. That word standing is a masculine participle. So it's a man standing where he does not belong. This is the man who defies the Almighty God, uh, the one described in 2 Thessalonians 2, where he is called the man of lawlessness who will set himself up in God's temple and claim to be God. This is the Antichrist who will start the slaughter of Jews and all who follow Jesus. According to Jesus' own words in Matthew 24, 29, the revelation of the Antichrist will be immediately followed by Christ's second coming. Now, I'm going to help you differentiate, not be confused about the second coming and the rapture in a few minutes, but hang in there. Uh, But he says, when you see this event, get out. Get out. This refers basically to those who are living in Judea. Now, how do I know this event hasn't happened yet? Besides what I've already told you. Well, here's another clue, verse 19. Um, Actually, I already went ahead there. Verse 19. For in those days there will be such tribulation as has not been from the beginning of the creation that God created until now and never will be. Uh, This is the event that will signal the great tribulation. Now, as a church, we understand the Scriptures to teach that those whose faith is in Christ now will not go through the tribulation. If your faith and trust is in Jesus, uh, the only Savior, then you will not go through the tribulation, that great, terrible time like the world has never seen before. Instead, we will be raptured. We will be snatched from this earth to meet the Lord in the air, according to 1 Thessalonians 4. Uh, And that will happen before the seven-year period of judgment. But during the tribulation, I believe many, many, I know many, many will turn to Christ in those dark days and therefore suffer horribly and even die for their faith in Jesus. And this warning is for them. When you see this, get out. Uh, And he says, verse 21, if anyone says to you, look, here's the Christ, or look, there he is, don't believe it. For false Christs and false prophets will arise and perform signs and wonders to lead astray, if possible, the elect. But be on guard, I have told you these things beforehand. So pretenders and miracle workers are going to do such powerful signs that they would dupe believers if that were possible. But it's not. So stay true. For though this world with devils filled should threaten to undo us, we will not fear, for God has willed His truth to triumph through us. So stay 
true. And then third, stay encouraged. Stay encouraged. There's no need to wonder about the second coming of Christ because there's going to be unmistakable cosmic signs. God brings history to an end in spectacular fashion and the return of Jesus is going to be witnessed by the planet. For example, verse 24, But in those days, after that tribulation, the sun will be darkened and the stars will be falling from heaven. And then they will see the Son of Man coming in clouds with great power and glory. And then He will send out the angels and gather His elect from the ends of the earth. So we have the victorious Son of God appearing, every eye seeing Him, and there's going to be a global collection of His people. These elect are all those who have turned to Jesus for salvation through the great tribulation. Because through the terror and trouble of those dark days, many will trust in Jesus. And so right now, I want to clear up any confusion there might be in your mind uh, about the, the difference between the rapture and the second coming. Because these are two different events. We talk about the rapture, the snatching away of the church, uh, and the second coming of Christ. Those are two completely different events as we interpret the Bible. Let me show you. The rapture. Uh, for instance, as talked about in 1 Thessalonians 4, that's where the Lord meets us in the air. The second coming is where Jesus returns to earth. In fact, He sets foot on the Mount of Olives and it splits open. So in the first place, He's only in the air. In the second place, He touches down on planet earth. Uh, the rapture is possible at any moment now. The second coming occurs only after the seven years of tribulation. Uh, the, the rapture is for believers only. Only we will interact with Jesus. Uh, and the second coming, every eye will see Him. Uh, the rapture is for His church. The second coming is with His church. Jesus, at the rapture, comes to, to gather His church to Himself, uh, but at the second coming, He comes with His church to judge the world. At the rapture, Christ is the bridegroom coming to collect His bride. Uh, at the second advent, the second coming, Christ is the warrior king coming to judge. Uh, after the rapture, only unbelievers remain because the believers will meet the Lord in the air. At, at the second coming, only believers will remain because the unbelievers are taken off to judgment. The rapture is referred to as the blessed hope, that which we as believers look forward to happening at any moment. Whereas the second coming is the day of wrath where God pours out His judgment upon planet earth. The, the point of all this, I want you to stay encouraged because Jesus lays out some very specific things about the future. And, and the point is that our, your future is in God's hands. That's reality for all who believe. You've been bought with the precious blood of Jesus. And to all who receive Him, He gives them the right to be called the children of God. You are His. And so your mind may be on many, many other things. Ordinary troubles and problems. You may con be consumed with a struggling marriage. Uh, you may be concerned about the economy, your grades, your retirement plan, your health, the price of oil. Uh, you may suffer wounds from things that people have said about you or done to you. Uh, you. You may be struggling with anxiety over violence or injustice. You may be overwhelmed with responsibility for your past failures. But listen, Jesus is coming, and He's coming to set things right. And all of us who put our trust in Him need to put our lives in that perspective. Amy and I were meeting with a, a, a salesman yesterday, and uh, um, he said to me, uh, you look stressed about this. 
I wanted to hit him, but I didn't. I said, well, no, I'm not stressed about this. There are some things that are stressing me. And immediately I realized I have my focus on the wrong things. And how often every day, every week, we need to keep our focus on the reality of what Christ has done for us, put our life in that perspective, because recession will not catch God by surprise. Senseless violence will not thwart his plan. Failure won't shock the Almighty One. He's not bound by the economy or hemmed in by political power. He controls history. So rest in his care. Stay encouraged. Fourth, stay awake. You knew it was coming right in the passage stay awake because now jesus finally answers the disciples questions when's this going to happen so verse 29 so also when you see these things taking place you know that he is near at the very gates truly i tell you this generation will not pass away until all these things take place heaven and earth will pass away but my words will not pass away so when will all this happen the generation that sees all these things we'll see the end. All these things refers to the abomination of desolation, the cosmic disasters, and the great tribulation. The generation that is alive to see that is the generation that will see the final apocalypse, the second coming of Christ. As creation occurred in a seven-day period, destruction of creation will occur in a seven-year period. And those who see the start of those seven years will be there at the end. You see, the signs that Jesus described haven't, haven't happened yet. The cataclysmic events that are detailed in Revelation when the wrath of God is poured out on the earth uh, haven't happened yet. They're still to come. And they're certain because this is the Word of God which Jesus says will not pass away. So what about an exact date and time? Verse... I keep getting ahead somehow. Verse 32. But concerning that day or that hour, no one knows. Not even the angels in heaven, not the Son, but only the Father. So this is a mystery. The day of distress, unlike anything else in history, is on the horizon, but the date's unknown. We can't mark this on a schedule. You say, well, how could Jesus not know? He's the Son of God. That's what Mark started out by saying. You see, in becoming human, Jesus voluntarily limited himself. He laid aside the use of some of his powers and privileges during his life on this earth. As Philippians 2.7 says, he emptied himself and took on him the form of a servant. Jesus is fully God who became fully man. Now last week, Jonathan Chang mentioned the doctrine of the hypostatic union. Uh, That's the divine and human natures of Jesus are, are are one in him. See, it's so important because in order for Jesus to save us, he had to be both. Had he not been fully man, he could not have died in our place as a substitute. Had he not been fully God, his sacrifice would not have been enough to pay for the sin of the world or powerful enough to defeat death. So while being fully human on this planet, Jesus temporarily laid aside the use of his divine attributes. And the day Jesus warned about will come, but only the Father knows when. Now notice how Jesus applies this. Be on your guard, keep awake, For you do not know when the time will come. It's like a man going on a journey when he leaves home and puts his servant in charge, each with his work, and commands the doorkeeper to stay awake. Therefore, stay awake, for you do not know when the master of the house will come. And and what I say to you, I say to all, stay awake. So, let me repeat, speculation about when the end will come 
timing-wise, is a waste of time. In fact, knowing the exact time would hurt our faithfulness. You know, I saw a cartoon this week. It's of a guy running into a room with some other guys, and he says, Jesus is coming back tonight. Delete your porn. Don't you see? That's exactly a reason why. If we know the date, then you live however you want until that date, just before, right? So the most important thing is to be ready today and every day. The illustration Jesus uses is a doorkeeper. The doorkeeper was like a watchman. It was his only duty. Uh, he was responsible to keep the wrong people out and to be at his post at all hours of the day and night ready to welcome the boss back. And so Jesus is saying, be, be like that doorkeeper. Don't fall asleep on your job. It's so easy to get distracted and delayed or lulled to sleep uh, that, that you're not spiritually alert. So what does that look like to be spiritually alert, to be spiritually awake? Let me, let me suggest some things from this passage. One is serve with your gifts. If I'm going to be spiritually awake, I need to be serving with my gifts. Every believer has one or more gifts. You have a place in the body of Christ. Every single one of you has put your trust in Jesus. It might not be glamorous. It might not be obvious. It might not even be appreciated by other people. It's just being the one at the door. But if you're not there, if you're not doing what God called you to do, you're not ready. You're not awake. God has an assignment for you somewhere. There's no retirement age for that. Do what he called you to do, whether you're a doorkeeper, a teacher, a tech support, a mentor, an encourager, a helper. Start doing it, keep doing it, and don't stop doing it. We need you, you need us. If you're not serving, you're not awake. Later this year, we're going to help you in that serve aspect and give you the opportunity to find your place in ministry. That's helping you be ready for the Lord. Second, to be spiritually awake, you got to share the good news. If you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believed in your heart that God raised him from the dead, then the Bible says you have been saved. And as a saved one, you have a mission. And that mission is to share the message in your circle of influence. Uh, that's why we offer gospel conversations, to equip you to share the message simply and clearly. And if you refuse to share... I'm saying that intentionally. If you're refusing to share, if you never ask God to give you opportunity, if you avoid being equipped to share, if you stop seeing people as desperately needing a Savior, then you're not awake. You're not ready for the Lord to return. Third, support global missions. Jesus sent his church into all the world. He wants the nations to hear. And as verse 10 said, the gospel must first be announced to all the nations. So I want to thank you this morning for your support to our global missions conference. I want to thank you for caring for our missionaries. I want to thank you for praying for our missionaries. I want to thank you for sending our global workers and our short-term teams. And let me tell you that if you lose interest in missions... If you refuse to support it as God enables you to support it, if you stop caring about the lost, particularly the lost uh, around it, then you're not awake. You're not awake. And so, simply put, as I keep doing whatever God calls me to do, I'll be ready for Christ's return. Now, I've been blessed to have a number of mentors in my life, and my parents being the first. Uh, but Fred Thiessen was a, mem a mentor of mine. Um, he was 20 years older or more than my dad. And uh, Fred had been a missionary to India for decades. 
And when I met him first, he was in his 70s, and he was faithfully serving Jesus in the church that I came to pastor as a 20-something-year-old. And uh, he and his wife, Ella, had very little money. They had very few possessions. They had a, 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 an apartment in probably not the best place uh, of the city, not far from the church. But Fred was full of energy and, and passionate about Jesus. Uh, he served as an elder. He continued to, to share the gospel with those he met. He eagerly trusted Christ for big things. He was anxious for the return of Jesus. That was something Fred talked about a lot. But eventually, health and finances forced Fred and Ella to move away. And uh, we, Amy and I, one day we, we drove out a couple hours and went to visit them in their the tiniest apartment I have ever been in. T two people, but very, very tiny. I mean, I sat in their, uh, in their room, and I could reach the kitchen counter from where I sat. And I was like, oh, I was kind of over, I felt claustrophobic, and I, I felt bad for Fred and Ella. Um, and, I, and I guess it showed. Because it, they were still radiating in the joy of the Lord, but Fred said to me, you know, this place might seem small, but I'm looking forward to the place Jesus is preparing for me right now in the Father's house. A, a month after my own father died at age 69, Fred died at age 90. Both of them receiving all that God promises to His people. And whether I live to be 69 or 90, I want to be looking for that blessed hope. The glorious appearing of Jesus, the Son of the living God. I'm not looking for signs. I'm looking for the Savior. I'm not obsessed with a schedule. I'm captivated by a person. I'm not trying to Christianize our nation. I'm out to evangelize our world. I'm not about establishing a kingdom. I'm working for a king. How about you? As we bring this service to a close, I want to invite you to stand and we're going to sing together a song that talks about that day. It says, there's a peace I've come to know. An anchor for my soul. Jesus has overcome. He's risen from the dead. And I will rise when He calls my name. No more sorrow, no more pain. I will rise. Thanks be to God.